0: Exodus chapter 14. Uh, I want you to remember that we ended last week, and Lord, just help me bring this all together, but what we ended last week talking about the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And we talked about how God said to his people, I want you to celebrate this feast every year. We talked about how the Jews celebrate Passover every year. We were just with a Messianic Jew this just. Uh, couple of days ago, and they were telling us how they are getting ready to celebrate the Passover, and uh, we talked about how God re- implemented that feast to be celebrated on a yearly basis, to be com- commemorated on a yearly basis, because he wanted them to remember. <laughs> I've been thinking all week, why that's even necessary. Lord, you know, if I, I remember, the Israelites were brought out of 400 plus years of cruel slavery, cruel slavery. They were beaten. They, they were mistreated. They were oppressed. And, and for 400 years, it became their normal, living in captivity and slavery. And, and it was cruel slavery. And God raised up a deliverer. They cried out to God. He raised up a deliverer, and he delivered them out of slavery. And he was taking them to the promised land, and it was at that point, uh, you remember, uh, that, that, that Pharaoh was stubbornly, he stubbornly refused to obey God. And, and how God had to implement some divine judgment to get him to release God's people, because he didn't want to obey him the first time. And he gave him 10 good reasons why. They were 10 plagues. And the final plague was the worst of all. It was the death of the firstborn. And even in that plague, God showed mercy. And he said, if you just, you know, uh, sacrifice a, a lamb and you put the blood on the, on the doorpost and the, lamp, and the lentil, I, I will pass over. I won't, I won't judge you. The death angel will pass over you and you'll be excluded from my judgment. You just have to do this one thing. And yet Pharaoh continued to stubbornly harden his heart to God's command. And you know the story, the death of the firstborn came and the Israelites, because they obeyed God and they applied the blood to the doorposts of their homes, the death angel passed over. They were excluded from that judgment. Not one of their firstborn died and God then delivered them out of that slavery after that final plague. And I had to ask myself all week long, Lord, is it necessary to have them now have this fast in another year or this feast in another year to remember that you did that? I mean, how many of you would have trouble remembering that? Your firstborn got saved, got got delivered, got got excluded from, from a plague. I'm pretty sure you wouldn't have to remind me in a year. You got delivered out of 400 cruel years of slavery, but by a mighty and powerful God, I'm pretty sure you would not have to remind me in a year of that. I'm pretty sure it would be in the forefront of my mind forever. I understand that the generations following would have trouble remembering that, but Lord, is it really necessary that they do this every year? Apparently so, because where our story picks up tonight is shortly thereafter, probably, I don't know, a day or two following... (laughs) And they forget again about the powerful God that just brought them out of slavery, that rescued their firstborn. And so that's where our story picks up tonight. And, and, and I just really want you to be thinking about that the entire time we're going through this story, that God had just moved powerfully on their behalf. And, and now how easily and how quickly they can forget the powerful God they serve and his ability His ability to rescue them when they call. His ability to do the miraculous in their life. I wonder how quickly we forget it. So before we're so hard on the Israelites, I really want to challenge you tonight to find yourself in this story. How quickly do we forget God's power and his ability? How quickly do we question his faithfulness and his goodness to us? We're going to see the Israelites doing that uh, in, this, in this chapter. Chapter 14 of Exodus, we're going to read the entire chapter. Verse 1, Now before, now, the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel, that they turn and camp before, before Piathihoth, before Migdal, and the sea opposite Balzaphron. You shall camp before it by the sea. For Pharaoh will say of the children of Israel, they are bewildered by the land, the wilderness has closed them in. Then I will harden Pharaoh's heart so that he will pursue them, and I will gain honor over Pharaoh and over all his army, that the Egyptians may know that I am the Lord. And they did so. Now it was told the king of Egypt that the people had fled, and the heart of Pharaoh and his servants was turned against the people, and they said, why have we done this? That we have let Israel go from serving us, so he made ready his chariot and took his people with him. Also, he took six hundred choice chariots and all the chariots of Israel or of Egypt, with captains over every one of them. And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he pursued the children of Israel. And their chil- and the children of Israel went out with boldness. So the Egyptians pursued them, all the horses and chariots of Pharaoh with horsemen and his army, and overtook them camping by the sea of Pihatharoth before Baal Zephron. And when Pharaoh drew near, the children of Israel lifted their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians marched after them. So they were very afraid, not just afraid, they were very afraid. And the children of Israel cried out to the Lord. Then they said to Moses, because there were no graves in Egypt, have you taken us away to die in the wilderness? Why have you so dealt with us to bring us up out of Egypt? Is this not the word that we told you in Egypt saying, let us alone that we may serve the Egyptians for it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than we should die in the wilderness. And Moses said to the people, do not be afraid. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord which he will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall see again no more forever. The Lord will fight for you. That's a word for somebody tonight. I felt that strongly as I was studying this passage, that you need to know that the Lord will fight for you and you shall hold your peace. And the Lord said to Moses, why do you cry to me? Tell the children of Israel to go forward, but lift up your rod and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it. And the children of Israel shall go on dry ground through the midst of the sea. And indeed, I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians, and they shall follow them. So I will gain honor over Pharaoh and over all his army, his chariots, and his horsemen. Then the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord, and I have gained honor for myself over Pharaoh, his chariots, and his horsemen. And the angel of God who went before the camp of Israel moved and went behind them, and the pillar of of cloud went from before them and stood before them. So it came between the camp of the Egyptians and the camp of Israel. Thus it was a cloud and darkness to the one, and it gave light by night to the other, so that no one did come near the other all that night. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord caused the sea to go back with a strong east wind all that night, and made the sea into dry land, and the waters were divided. So the children of Israel went into the midst of the sea on dry ground, and the waters were a wall to them on their right hand and to their left. And the Egyptians pursued and went after them in the midst of the sea, all Pharaoh's horses, his chariots, and his horsemen. Now it came to pass in the morning watch that the Lord looked down upon the army of the Egyptians through a pillar of fire and cloud, and he troubled the army of the Egyptians and he took off their chariot wheels so that it drove them with so that they drove them with difficulty and the chariots and the Egyptians said let us flee from the face of Israel for the Lord fights for them against the Egyptians then the Lord said to Moses stretch out your hand over the sea and the waters may come back upon the Egyptians and their chariots and their horsemen and Moses stretched out his hand over the sea and when morning appeared the sea returned to its full depth While the Egyptians were fleeing into it, so the Lord overthrew the Egyptians in the midst of the sea. Then the waters returned and covered their chariots, the horsemen and all the army of Pharaoh that came into the sea after them. Not so much as one of them remained, but the children of Israel walked on dry land in the midst of the sea. And the waters were a wall to them on their right hand and on their left powerful scripture. And before we dig into this scripture tonight, I want to just back up to chapter 13, verses 21 and 22. It says that the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light, so as to go by day and night. He did not take away the pillar of cloud by day or the pillar of fire by night from before the people. It's really important that you understand that we are going to begin to see the children of Israel wandering through the wilderness. And I I want you to keep in mind that they are not going it alone. They are being led. The path is being directed and determined by a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. The pillar was the very presence of God. It showed the people that God was with them at all times, day or night. And you need to remember that, that God was with him. The Bible tells us that God will never leave us. He'll never forsake us, that he is with us like a mighty warrior. It's one of my favorite scriptures, that he's with us like a mighty warrior. And that pillar was evidence to the children of Israel that God was with them by day and by night, that he would never leave them. And so wherever they were going, whatever they were going to encounter, it's important that you remember that God was with them. I have a map that I want you to see tonight. So you need to see that over here, see this right here, is Egypt. And the children of Israel lived up here in Goshen. Do you see Goshen right there? And so when, they, when Moses brought them out of Egypt, uh, there was really a more direct route that they could have gone. Over here is the, is the promised land. Do you see it? Canaan. And so there was a direct route from Goshen. It would have been so much easier and so much shorter just to go straight up through there and go to Canaan. Why didn't he do that? Many of you will remember from last week we read a scripture in chapter 13 that, that said that God knew that that way was not the best way. Because that way, the, the, the word of God says in verse 17 of chapter 13... If the people are faced with battle, they might change their mind and head back to Egypt. You see, God knew that they had been slaves for 400 years. that they, they did not know war. They weren't trained for war. Many of you sitting here tonight are not trained for war. Can I just tell you about, I don't know, Davy. what, five years ago, uh, the Lord gave me this scripture that I was, I was reading, and it says, he trains my fingers for battle and my hands for war. Hmm. <laughs> That got deep in my spirit, and so I kept saying to the Lord, Oh, Father, I just want you to train my fingers for battle and my hands to war. And I was so bold that I even stood up in Bible study, and I, you, many of you will recall this, and I, I said, I'm asking the Lord to teach me to war. I'm asking him to teach me to battle. Don't ever say that, and, and really don't ever declare it, because I, I will tell you the next five years of my life were torture, Leslie, if I'm lying, I'm dying. I'm, I'm telling you, torture was the word. He trained my fingers to battle and my hands to war. He, as he did exactly what I asked him to do. But you see, the Israelites—they were not battle ready. They were like me. They were not battle ready. God was about to teach their fingers to war and their hands to battle. I, I'm just going to tell you, but He knew that they were not ready for that. They were slaves. They didn't even have any weapons coming out of Egypt. And so if he would have taken them this way, do you see that word right there? (laughs) This was the land of the Philistines. They were warriors. They, they knew how to battle. And all of this land right in here, there were Egyptian fortresses in here. And they were monitored and they were heavily uh, guarded fortresses. And, and so if the, Israel, if the Israelites would have come out and gone this path, they would have faced first the Egyptian fortresses that were full of soldiers. <laughs> and then they, if they got through that, they would have faced the Philistines. And oh my, they were wicked. And if by chance they got through that, all of this land in Canaan that they were about to take over, that God was going to give them, had enemies in it as well. And they had to defeat the enemies to take over the land. And God knew, because God does know, they were not ready for that. He had to teach their fingers to battle and their hands to battle. To war, He had to prove to them that all they needed to do was stand still and watch the deliverance of the Lord, that he would fight for them. But he had to prove that to them before they were about to face those kind of enemies. And so, rather than take them the short route, which would have been seven plus days, not, 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 not much longer than that, it would have taken them to get to Canaan. Instead, how many years does it take them to get to Canaan? Anybody know? Forty. <laughs> It's almost funny. And, and, and I'm like, Lord, why would you do that? And here's what I believe. You see, they had spent, even though they were God's people, they were Israelites, they had lived where all of their life? In Egypt which is symbolic, as I've, I've told you over the past several weeks, it's symbolic of the world. <laughs> and you see, they had lived in Egypt, and Egypt lived in them now. They, they had lived in that culture. That culture had gotten into them. They had slave mentality. Oh, Some of you are sitting here tonight. Instead of sonship, you, you understand slaveship. That's what you understand. You understand instead of what it's like to be a son of God, you understand what it's like to be a slave. He wants you to understand sonship. And and you see, they understood Egypt (laughs) and that Egyptian mentality. They understood slave mentality. But they didn't understand what it was like to be a people of God. And tonight on the way here, I felt like the Lord said to me, Rhea, I was like, Lord, why did you take so long? Because I really believe he wasn't as interested in getting them out of Egypt as he was about getting Egypt out of them and teaching them what it meant to be children of God, children of the Most High God. And so I believe the 40 years that we're about to study is all about what it looks like to become a child of God, to act like a child of God, to believe like a child of God, to fight like a child of God. So instead, he takes them this way, this down here, you can't see it. I didn't get the map. I didn't, I didn't get a big enough map for you. But this is all the Red Sea down here. This is part of the Red Sea, and this is part of the Red Sea, okay? Do you see it? There's a lot of discrepancy among commentators of where exactly they crossed, <laughs> A lot of discrepancy, all kinds of theories. And, and I'm gonna present a theory to you tonight that I believe has the best evidence, but you need to make up your own mind because what happened what was they really don't know where these places are when God, see, God was very specific. Do you, do you see in verse two how specific he's being? I want you to tell them to turn and camp before Pi Hathoroth. Between Migdal and the sea, opposite Baal, Zephron. Do you see how specific? He was being precise, and I believe there was a reason that God was being precise. Now, you need to know, and look at verse 2. It says, tell them to turn and go back. Anybody catch that when I read through it the first time? Turn and go back. If you you write in your Bibles, I want you to take note of that, because you see, they were trucking down through here. (laughs) And then he says, I want them to turn and go back. And if you look up the word in the original language, it really means to turn and go back. How many of you ever felt like that? You you were taking three steps forward and two steps back. You weren't really making a whole lot of progress. I just can't imagine the Israelites, God, come on, we're following this pillar. See, it wasn't very hard to hear from God back then or to have his direction. You just looked for the cloud. It was there and you followed it. Uh, Lord, where do you want us to go? Just follow the cloud. Lord, where do you want us to stop and eat? Just follow the cloud. Lord, what do you want us to do next? Just follow the cloud. Don't you wish it was that easy? Guess what? It is. That cloud lives inside of you. The nudge of the Holy Spirit. Follow that. The prick of the Holy Spirit. Follow that. And so they understood it wasn't just Moses, what did God say? It was just follow the cloud. If it stops, you stop. If it moves, you move. Are you with me? And so tell them to go back. Are you kidding me? We were just following you. We were obeying you. And now we got to go back again. I mean, can you just imagine anybody ever feel like your walk is that way? Lord, I was just trying to obey you, and now I feel like I took three steps forward and two steps back. My marriage was going well. I I was just trying to obey you, and now two steps back. Anybody ever feel like that's your Christian walk? But who knows that God's ways are not our ways. And the Bible says that the steps of a righteous man are ordered by God. You can trust him to order your steps. And just like God knew that they would face fierce resistance if he took them the short route, he also knew that there was a plan in him telling them to go back, to turn back, and then to settle here in this area. And he was very specific. He said, settle between Pi-Hathoroth, Migdal, across from the Baal of Zephron. Do you see it? Precise in what he was telling them to do. The cloud stopped. This is where I want you to to not just stop. I want you to camp. I want you to pinch some tents and just abide there for a little while. We're going to stay right here. We're going to stop. Right here, I, I have a plan. And so, what does the scripture say? That that while they camp now, look at verse uh, three, and it says, "For Pharaoh will say to the of the children of Israel, they are bewildered by the land, and the wilderness has closed them in." Now, you need to know that Baal uh, hath Hathoroth, Can we just call it Baal H? Because that is such a hard word to say. Uh, that, that that was, and I need to just tell you what that looked like. I need to find it. It was a perfect, Chuck Swindoll says this, it was a perfect geographical cul-de-sac, a dead-end street. Just north stood some formidable Egyptian fortresses, which I told you about. They would have been massive stone structures. And Chuck Swindoll says that Baal Zephron militarily would have been the most vulnerable spot to be in. He said it would have been like turning down a dead-end street when you're being chased by a car full of thieves. He said, humanly speaking, it would be the most foolish decision in the world. God, what are you doing? Because if you picture yourself as the the Israelites, on this side is a bunch of stone formations, mountains that you could not uh, climb. Over here, mountains that you could not climb. Back here, the way you came. Well, we can always go back the way we came. It's a nice little path back the way we came. And in front of us, the Red Sea. So you know what? No big deal. Until you hear the sound of chariots. (laughs) And you look back to see your enemy chasing you down. Now, they're blocked in by the Egyptians with chariots. Now, not just, not just Egyptians, but choice chariots. The chariots would have been like the armored vehicles or armored tanks of that time. They, they would have been uh, some of the strongest. The, the Egyptian army was one of the most mighty armies in the world. The, the, those, uh, those choice chariots that, that we think about, it would have been one of the few uh, armies that would have had chariots. They they would have been advanced military weapons of that time. It was a big deal that they had chariots. Well, well, what did the Israelites have? Their feet. They were walking. Slaves walking. Red Sea in front of them. Mountains on either side of them. Can't can't go that way. And they thought, we can turn around. And then they heard the chariots coming. And they looked and see the enemy, their slave drivers, pursuing them. I bet they thought, Lord, what are you doing? You told us to camp here. The cloud stopped. We just listened to you, Lord. And now we're trapped. Dead end street, Lord. You set us up for this. They're going to they're take us back into slavery. What are you doing, Lord? See that? That's what happens to us. God delivers us from slavery. He delivers us from an addiction or a behavior or anger or hatred or unforgiveness or, or alcoholism or drug abuse or a sex addiction. He delivers us out of slavery and, and, and we're, we're following him and we're, we're obeying him and doing what he says and then a problem arises. You see, our enemy, he will not be content to let us go free. He will pursue us just like Pharaoh pursued the Israelites. He does not want you to taste freedom. Do you understand that? He is relentless. Pharaoh was relentless. You wanted to say, Pharaoh, you should be so glad you're rid of them. Can I remind you of your firstborn? Can I remind you of the God they serve? What are you thinking, Pharaoh? He wanted them back. He wanted them back into slavery. And your enemy wants you back into slavery. He knows the God who delivered you. And he is chasing, he is dogging you down, trying to lure you back into slavery. One more look. Nobody ever will know to set up. But you see what Pharaoh didn't know? What the Israelites thought was a setup, a trap. It was not a trap for them. It was not a setup for them. It was a setup for their enemy. And you see, every time you get backed into a corner by your enemy and you think it's the enemy doing that, it can either be a setback for you or a setup for him, but you need to make up your mind which one it's going to be because he is training your fingers for battle and your hands to war. And this is all about every obstacle you face, every trap that you feel stuck in, every time you feel cornered and set up by your enemy, you need to know that it is an opportunity to stand still and watch the deliverance of the Lord. But you have a choice to make. You can turn and go back into slavery. You can say, you know what? God, you set me free from that addiction. You set me free from that behavior. I don't want to go back into slavery. But you see, he's, he's dogging me down. Lord, he's chasing me down. He's luring me back into slavery. I can hear the, the sound of the chariot wheels. And you have a choice, church. You can either turn and go back or you can say, God, this is an obstacle in front of me. I'm asking you to part the water and let me go through on dry ground. It can either be a setup up or a setback. You decide. What strikes me is verse, uh, not, verse 8 says that, that the Israelites left Egypt with boldness. That word boldness there means with a high hand. If you have a King James version, you'll see it says high hand in it. And it means to rise up, to be lifted up, to, to, to be raised up. It means to show oneself powerful or to triumph over anyone. Some commentators say it's a gesture associated with defiance, not against God, but against Pharaoh. It includes the idea of rebellion against authority. In other words, they were leaving Israel being like, so much for you, Pharaoh. Look at us, Hatsi Tatsi. God is delivering us. Rock on with your bad self. I mean, that's the kind of attitude they were going out of Egypt with. With confidence, with boldness. They knew who their God was. But now, the sound of chariot wheels, and what do they do? Panic. He should have left us in Egypt. You brought us out here to die like there weren't enough graves in Egypt. Didn't we tell you that we just wanted to serve the Egyptians, Moses? <laughs> the sound of chariot wheels. And they panic. And their confidence goes out of the window. And I just want to say, this is why God said, you need to remember Passover every year. You're going to have to do this Feast of Unleavened Bread for every year because you've got to need to remember because you have somehow there's such a tendency to forget how powerful i am what i'm able to do in your life israelites you need to you need to remember this because what 24 hours later they were already forgetting What their God could do. The sound of chariot wheels. And they were penning. You see some of you have some chariot wheels in your life right now. Where the enemy is dogging you down. And he's bringing fear and anxiety and worry and defeat. And you're like oh God what should I do? Believe. That's what you should do. Stand still and watch the deliverance of the Lord. Or you can retreat and go back in to slavery. The choice is yours. But let me tell you what a mighty God you serve. What a mighty God you serve. This is our problem. We only come out of slavery partway. And God wants us out all the way. We start out confident and full of faith. And then a problem arises and our life gets difficult and we panic. And we run right back into captivity to our old ways of coping we, we turn to drugs or alcohol or sex or depression or fear or anxiety, and we hate it, but it's familiar. It's comfortable. It's a whole lot more comfortable than trusting in God we cannot see in a path that doesn't seem clear. But he invites us to stand still. And watch the deliverance of the Lord. Think about the Israelites. They were probably trucking through that wilderness thinking their problems were over. They were in a new relationship with their God. Their enemy had been defeated. They probably thought there's nothing more to worry about. There's no way Pharaoh is going to chase them down. And then they heard the sound of chariots. You see, salvation does not mean no more enemy. That's what people say. Come to Christ and you're going to have a wonderful life. Really? My life got harder. If, if, if this is what, it, what it's all about, I got ripped off. I'm just going to tell you. Salvation does not guarantee our life is going to be easy. Salvation guarantees us that he'll never leave us and he'll never forsake us. It doesn't mean no more problems. It's a process of learning to follow the Lord's leading and trust in his faithfulness. In chapter 13, verse 8, we read that, that God led the people around by way of the wilderness of the Red Sea. The people were about to encounter trouble with their enemy, and I want you to keep in mind that God led them there. It wasn't an accident. It wasn't the enemy's doing. God led them. There was something that he, they needed to learn, and it was going to take those choice chariots and the Egyptian army to teach them that lesson. God led them right here, where God told them, I told you it was a precise location right here. Do you see this? Um, it's really important that you see that God pointed out that location and the cloud stopped right there in that dead end street, as, as Chuck Swindoll would say. Now, now, you need to know that God could have stopped them at any place in that Red Sea. I did some investigation on the Red Sea. Do you know how deep it could be at its deepest level? Seven thousand feet. Seven thousand feet, at its deepest level. Now, granted, it would have varied throughout the sea, but at its deepest level, it was seven thousand feet. The the average was fifty two hundred feet deep. This was not a stream. Dave said one of the theories is it was a marsh. Really? He said, No, Rhea, I don't believe that marsh stuff to you. And I said, You know what? It makes it even better if it was a marsh. If what God took them through was a marsh with, you know, like three inches of water, man, he's even more mightier than I thought he was. Because he drowned a whole Egyptian army in three inches of water. (laughs) Do you see how ridiculous some of these theories are? It's ridiculous. That's why we need to study to show ourselves approved a workman who correctly handles the word of God. So I've been spending a lot of, of time on this Red Sea and it bothers me because I can't come up with a definitive answer because there's so much controversy out there on it. Look at this. That place in that precise area that God told them to go to, that the cloud parked, we ain't going no further, just put up your tent here. We're camping right here. Don't worry about those chariots. Got this one. Can you imagine the panic in the, in the Israelites? They knew how deep that water was. But look at this. In that precise area, do you see this right here? There was a ledge, which they would have had no way of knowing. See this? It had a little beach. Remember all of those mountains on either side of them. But they could go out on this little beach right here. The only place that had that little beach <laughs> this is so good, Lord. There's about a quarter to a half mile right here. This is, that's all the bigger it was, a quarter to a half mile. Precise location. Then it dropped off to one side was 6,000 and one side was 5,000 feet deep. Leslie and I were talking this week. She's like, we have a question for you. If he lifted up the water and they crossed her undry dry ground, that was a really deep uh, incline that they would have, or a deep uh, drop that they would have had to go down into. How did God do that? And then I found this. And she said, do you think that was there all the time? I said, Leslie, what does it matter? What if God raised up the floor of the ocean to, to, to make that little ledge there? Who knows? But I think it's a mighty God. Because at just that exact, just make sure you camp right here, precise location. Do you see why? See why God's word is so important that we know it? So they cross over right there. Waves on our waters on either side, the water lift. The, the, the wind blew all night long. See people who what Charleston Heston, you know, his, his movie, where the waves lift up, and they just truck across. No, let's get the scripture right. The wind blew all night long. Did you notice, if you write in your Bible, I want you to circle dry ground. Not muddy swamp, dry ground. They didn't even get mud on their, on their feet. Uh, mm, that's my God. 6,000 feet of water, not a drop to make mud. The wind blew all night long and dried up all that ground that they could cross on dry ground. Rhea, do you really believe it? His word. I don't, I'm not questioning his word. If God said it, I believe it. That settles it. And and so the, the waves pick up, the water picks up, and they walk across on dry ground. But up until that point, now you say, what happened to the Egyptians? Well, look what the word of God says happened to the Egyptians. The the, the the cloud that was leading them now comes behind them and, and to the Egyptians it's black he makes it black as can be they can't even see the israelites anymore can you imagine what is going on here this is the same god that killed all our firstborn i mean how dense do they have to be i would be at that point i'm i'm leaving i'm going back see ya i've messed with this god before i am not I, i'm leaving uh, but they didn't, they stayed. And, and, and here, as black as can be, they can't see anything. The very cloud <laughs> that, that kept them from getting to the Israelites could have protected them, gave them a chance to turn back. Yet again, we see the mercy of God. But they hardened their heart. And so this cloud now, now served as a barrier between God's people And the Egyptians, oh, can I tell you, the same is true today. I don't know what Red Sea you're facing. I don't know what obstacle is before you and what enemy is behind you. But can I tell you what? God is a barrier between his people and the trouble coming at them. I promise you that. And that same cloud that that was darkness to the Egyptians provided light for the Israelites. So they can watch all this happening. They can watch the wind pick up. Oh, can you just imagine? But look, it says in, um, in verse 9, it says that Pharaoh and his horsemen and his army overtook them while they were camping by the sea. This is before the cloud moved in. That word overtook, it's a hunting term. And it was originally used for catching prey. They're hunting down the Israelites. Many of you know this scripture. It says, be alert because your enemy is like a lion seeking whom he may devour. He, he thinks you're prey. He comes to kill, steal, and destroy. His whole purpose in your life is to destroy. You are prey to him. And just like an animal calculates, he, he's strategic. He is calculated. He, he lies in wait for his prey. I'm telling you, that is the kind of enemy we, we battle. And you need to understand who your God is, or you, like the Israelites, will panic and be willing to go back to slavery if you have not taken the time for him to teach your fingers to battle and your hands to war. So look at verse 11 and 12. So they cry out to God when they see those chariots coming. They have no idea that that little ledge is in the water waiting for them. All they can see is what they know is probably a 5,000 feet deep Red Sea in front of them. There's an obstacle. They are trapped. There is no way out. See, some of you feel trapped right now. You feel trapped in a marriage. God, I did what you told me to do. I married this man. I ask you if this is who you had for me, and you led me into a trap. I was trying to obey you. I was trying to do what you told me to do, and now I am trapped with no way out. Some of you have been you sought God for a job. You sought God for, what, what is it? What, what did you see God saying? Lord, I'm just doing what you tell me to do. And now I'm sitting here trapped in unforgiveness, trapped in bitterness, trapped in, in depression, trapped in despair, trapped in hopelessness with no way out. <laughs> oh, can I tell you, God has a way. He'll make a way where there is no way. But you see, his ways are not your ways. They're so much greater than ours. That's why he invites us just to stand still and watch the deliverance of the Lord. You see, you have to know who your God is. You have to know who your God is. And you see, when life gets hard, the first thing they did was cry out to God. When their enemy was pursuing them and they panicked, they did what they should have done and they cried out to God. But when relief didn't come, what was the next thing they did? Blame Moses. Did we not tell you? You should have just left us in, in Egypt to die. There were lots of graves there. We wanted to serve them. We like being slaves. Blame. And isn't that what happens when life gets hard? We cry out to God. And then when there's not immediate relief, we blame. It's that husband you gave me. It's that wife you gave me. It, it, it's those children that are driving me up a wall. It, it's the job. It's that boss that makes my life miserable. Lord, and we blame. And that's what the Israelites did as well. Reverend Joshua Lee says, we must always remember God is sovereign, never mistaken. I love that. That's been with me all week long because here the Israelites were at a dead end street. They were, they, they looked like they had no way out. They were trapped. And I'm sure they thought, God, you're mistaken. This cloud must be mistaken. God, you, you messed up. You blew it, Lord. And now we're going to be overtaken by the enemy. And see, that's where some of you are sitting tonight. Where you're looking at the enemy. The, you're looking at the trap the enemy has you in. Where there's no way out. And you're thinking, I'm stuck. There, there, this is hopeless. I might as well go back to slavery. Oh, God is sovereign. He is not mistaken. He has led you to that place for such a time as this. And he is about to do immeasurably more than you could ever ask or imagine. And he invites you to just simply stand still, cease striving, and know that he is God. He says, I'm doing this so I can get honor. And that word honor means to be weighty, to, to, be, to gain glory. Oh, he's looking to bring glory for himself in, in your situation. I promise you that. But Satan wants you to believe, just like Pharaoh did, that there's no way out, that the only option is to return to slavery. Let me ask you a question. What do you think has more power than God that's trying to overtake your life or maybe overtake the life of your child or someone you love? What is that thing that's chasing you down tonight that you feel hopeless before? What is that thing that's enslaved you and you felt like you were getting free of and now it's rearing its ugly head again? That's what the Israelites thought. I thought we were free of you and now you're here again. You've shown up again in our life. Is it that addiction that you thought you were getting free of and now it's reared its ugly head again in your life? Maybe it was anger that you thought you were really doing a good job conquering and now it's reared its ugly head in your life. What is the threat that you're so afraid of that's dogging you down, trying to enslave you? Satan wants you to believe that there are no options available. And God wants you to believe that he's more powerful than anything that's trying to overcome you. We have to learn to trust God over and above the thing that's trying to enslave us. We do trust his word. That is exactly right. But they're so... So the Israelites, they they had such a slave mentality. Remember, Pharaoh had brainwashed them into serving him. They believed that they were Pharaoh's servants, not God's people. And see, some of you believe that you are a slave to sin and not God's people. But he wants you to understand who you are in him. Who you are in him. So verse 13, Moses said to the people, do not be afraid. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall see again no more. The Lord will fight for you, and you shall hold your peace. I, I want you to see, if you miss everything else I say tonight, don't miss this part. That's a, he, says, he says, do not fear. Do not be afraid. Stand still and watch the deliverance of the Lord. That, that word, do not fear, it's a negative imperative In the Hebrew language, it's one of the strongest possible forms of expressing a negation in Hebrew. Moses isn't saying, you know what, I'm feeling really bad for you. And I I just want to encourage you to stand still. Trust the Lord. Don't be afraid. He's not doing that. He's not trying to comfort them. He was rebuking them. He was saying, do you understand the God that just brought you out of slavery? Do do I need to remind you of the God that passed over you because you had blood on the doorpost? Do I need to remind you how powerful your God is? Do not fear. Stand still and watch the deliverance of the Lord. Can you imagine when he said, do not fear? I I can picture the Israelites looking at him like, what planet are you from? Do you not see them? Did you see the Red Sea in front of us? Mountains? What's your great idea, Moses? Do not fear. Did you see their chariots? We don't even have a weapon, Moses. Do not fear. And not only do not fear, but stand firm and see and keep silent. <laughs> oh, I just love it. Chuck Swindle, I love this. He says, Isn't this our natural response? We don't, we, it's not we don't fear, it's we are afraid. We don't stand firm, we run. We we don't let the Lord fight for us. We fight on our own behalf, and we certainly don't keep silent. We tell everybody. The, the Lord is is working in my life right now. Leslie's my everybody. And Dave is always my everybody, but if Dave not available, Leslie's my second best. And and so these two hear everything. You know, you may not hear everything. See, Moses was hotsi totsy He's saying, stand still. He's in front of the people, he's their fearless leader. Stand still. Watch the deliverance of the Lord. He's going to fight for you, okay? Don't be afraid. And then he goes back to God, and I want you to see what God says to him. Look at this verse. This is why we need to know the language. He says, he goes to the Lord in verse 15. And the Lord said to Moses, why do you cry to me? Tell the children to get going. Why do you? It's singular. It's not plural. Who do we see crying out to the Lord? The Israelites. The Israelites. But when Moses goes to God, he says, why do you cry out to me? Singular, you, Moses. You know what that tells me? He's putting on a real hot totsy front to the Israelites. Don't fear. God's going to fight for you. Stand still and watch the salvation of the Lord. Lord, what are we going to do? I just don't even know what we're going to do. Why do you cry to me, Moses? Just tell him to go. Do you see it? Moses, take your own advice. <laughs> Stand firm. Don't fear. Let the Lord fight. I, I just, I feel like that's what he's saying to me. Rhea, this is my invitation to you right now in my life. It is, don't be telling Dave or Leslie. I just want you to not fear, Rhea. This is between you and me. Not, not you Not you can tell everybody else don't fear, but then you go to Dave and say, Dave, I'm really afraid. Can you pray for me? How many times a week do I say that to you? I, I need you to pray for me right now. Don't fear, Rhea. And Don't run away. Stand firm. (laughs) Look at it. Let the Lord fight for you, Rhea. And keep silent. Don't tell Dave and don't tell Leslie. Just keep silent. That's super hard. I might even be able to not fear because fear is not a huge thing in my life because I really do trust the Lord there. Anxiety is not a huge thing in my life. Stand firm. Man, I believe the word of God. I can stand on scripture like nobody. Let the Lord fight for me. I'm tough. I'm just telling you. Poor Dave. I got a mouth. I'm not afraid to fight. If you mess with me, I can tear you to shreds in no time. I'm not proud of it. I'm a fighter. I had two brothers. I learned to fight. It was a matter of survival in my home. Little Sarah, Sarah, can I tattle on you? Little Sarah came to Bible study a couple of weeks ago with this, her arm in a leg. I said, Sarah, what happened? She said, I got in the fight. I said, no more of that, Sarah. No more, did I say? No more of that. You will not get in another fight. We don't fight that way, Sarah. <laughs> I can only say that to her because I fight that way sometimes. And I had to learn. Let the Lord fight for you, Rhea. See, I might be able to not fear. I might even be able to stand firm, but... Man, I got a thing or two I want to say. Let the Lord fight for you, Rhea. Okay, I'm getting that one down. Now, keep silent. Don't tell Dave or Leslie. Are you kidding me? I need to just talk it through. I'm a talker. I like to talk it through. You don't, do I not say this to you all the time? You don't need to give me an answer, Les. Don't, don't, I'm not looking for you to give me a solution. <laughs> I'm just talking it through. I can get to my own solution. Just listen to me. Listen to me, Linda. I just need to talk. <laughs> Don't fear. Stand firm. Let the Lord fight for you. Keep silent. That's my challenge for you. Do not fear. Stand firm. Do you know the the armor of God? Do you know that the the sandals had spikes on the bottom of them? A warrior's sandals had spikes. Do you know that? That was because when they dug into the ground, they couldn't retreat. They couldn't turn and run because the spikes were in the ground. And it was so they wouldn't retreat, so that they would stand firm and not be easily moved, couldn't be knocked over because those spikes would go down to the ground. We're called to stand firm against the enemy. I got my feet down. I'm not moving. A number of years ago, I did a teaching, a series on um, uh, Don't Give Place to the Devil. And I talked about standing firm on the word of God, saying, You will not, you have taken ground from me and I'm taking it back. You've taken my ground in my children's life and I'm taking it back. You've taken ground in my marriage and I'm taking it back. You've taken ground in my finances and I'm taking it back. I'm standing firm on God's word and I am not going to be moved. And I am not fearing. You have ne- You're a defeated foe. Do you understand your enemy is a defeated foe? He's already been defeated on the cross of Calvary. The only power he has is what you give him. That's why we have to not fear and stand firm. I'm not moving. My sons will be taught by the Lord, and great will my children's peace be. It might look like there's a Red Sea in front of me, but I am standing firm. And I'm not fearing. And the Lord is going to fight for me. I'm not even telling anybody. I'm just going to shut my mouth and watch the deliverance of the Lord. So look what happens. Precise location. The Lord is going to fight for you. Just hold your peace. So the wind starts blowing. The water picks up. (laughs) All of a sudden, the Israelites are, are passing through on dry ground now, these big old waves are still up there. Now, remember, if they step off just a little tiny bit, whoom, they're, they're going down. All this water is up there. They're crossing through on dry ground. The cloud lifts. <laughs> they're over on the other side. The Egyptians start to cross over the water. They decide, you know what? God's, I'm just looking at this water right here. I think God's fighting for, them, fighting for them. Let's just go back, and they turn to go back, and whoosh, all of the water comes down on them, and he drowns the whole army. Not one of them remain. Stand still. Cease striving. That's one of my favorite scriptures. Uh, Stand firm or stand still and watch the deliverance of the Lord. Lisa, where are you at? What's the rest of that scripture? Be still and know that I'm God. The word be still is cease striving. Just stop trying to fix this one on your own. Stop trying to get the victory on your own. Stop trying to fight this battle. You know, can you just be quiet? Can you let me fight this one for you? Can you stop using your fists? Can you stop using your mouth? Can you stop using control? Can you stop and be still? Cease striving. And just know, know deep in your soul, be convinced of the fact that I'm God. Look at this. The Lord, verse 14, the Lord will fight for you. Do you know what that word Lord is there? Jehovah. Oh Ajit, do you want to tell me what it is? The great, the great Jehovah, the great I am. Everything you have need of, he says, I am. I will be everything you have need of when you need me to be everything that I am. Do you understand that? That the Lord, the one who promises to be everything you need him to be, with every battle you face, with every Red Sea that's in front of you, he promises to be everything you need him to be, the great I am. He will fight for you. Huh. What do you need him to be? He is. And that's the word that he uses there. Look at verse 27, and the sea returned to its full depth. Don't miss that. How much? How deep did I tell you that sea was going to be? 5,000, 6,000, 7,000 feet. Return to its full depth and drown every one of those Egyptians. Oh, that's so good, isn't it? It's just so good. That's my God. Let me ask you a question in closing. What is your balzefron tonight? What's the tight place you find yourself in without a way out? Maybe it's thought patterns. Maybe it's something that looks impossible to break out of. Maybe it's an addiction that keeps cornering you and trying to lure you back into slavery. Maybe it's behaviors that have held you hostage for years. Or maybe it's that God led you into that tight place, into that what appears to be a dead-end street, to teach you something about himself and his power. One of my favorite scriptures is, when I don't know what to do, my eyes are fixed on you. You see, that's what got the Israelites in trouble. They took their eyes off of him and walking in confidence and started looking at their situation at the chariots. You might be backed into a corner with no way out tonight, but I'm directing you to fix your gaze on him. I'm challenging you to stand still and watch his deliverance, to do nothing, to let him fight for you. That word fight there means to wage war. He wants to wage war on the enemy of your soul. He already has. He defeated him on the cross of Calvary. You just simply need to stand firm in that. Lean not into your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, though. We we have to acknowledge him in our situation. Acknowledge him as Lord in our situation. Remember, he was much more concerned with getting the Egypt out of them rather than getting them out of Egypt. And and our journey into the promised land, into uh, the land flowing with milk and honey, into an eternity with him, is all about getting the Egypt out of us conforming us into his image, making us more like him, leading us and inviting us into a deeper place of trust in him. Every situation that you face this week is an opportunity to trust in the one who is able, to trust in the all-powerful, almighty God who will never leave you, who will never forsake you, and I promise you, he is not about to relax his hand on you. So the invitation is to cease striving, And to know that he is God, the great I am, the one who promises to be everything you need him to be, when you need him to be everything that he is. Would you pray with me as Ian comes forward? Father, we just thank you for your word. Thank you for your word, Lord. Thank you that it's living, that it's active, and that it doesn't ever return void. And I pray, Lord God, that each person is leaving here tonight with a word that they can apply to their life, Lord, a challenge that they can apply to their life and, 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 and be able to stand still this week, to cease striving, to stop fighting on their own, and to just watch the deliverance of the Lord. We love you, Lord, and we give you praise and honor and glory. We thank you that you are indeed the great I am, everything we have need of. You are, Lord. You are our source and our salvation, our very present help in times of trouble. And we thank you for that, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.